0: The Press Pass on WKXL is presented by the Prescription Center, where the health of you and your family comes first. Check out either of their two locations, one at the Concord Hospital Campus, the other 125 North Main Street. The Prescription Center will also deliver prescriptions to you free of charge. That's the Prescription Center, where the health of you and your family comes first.
1: This is the press pass with Chris Ryan.
0: This is where you hear unique conversations with the best athletes, coaches, and general managers in sports. I think you appreciate
2: each and every one. Uh, each and every one is special in their own way. And as I play with two guys that uh, they were on top of their game on a nightly basis, and people get spoiled, you know, they they so Manny, they so David, so. They, they start taking people for granted. opportunity for me. I know I need to help my team now, so you know, the better I play, the better it'll be for us.
3: I think it's uh, one of the most important things is focus and the consistency.
0: After the Patriots get demolished in Buffalo against the Bills, New England looks to turn the page the B's and C's. I'm still thinking about what's in the future for the Pats. I am Chris Ryan. This is the Press Pass. Appreciate being with us. We'll start here. The Patriots had a successful season. Although it did not end the way that anyone would have liked, as the Patriots lost 47 to 17 to the Bills in Buffalo. It was a season where we saw growth on the offensive side of the football. We saw Mac Jones show that he is capable of being a top-level NFL quarterback and we saw the makings of an offense that could win a Super Bowl championship in the future. But the Patriots have a lot of questions on defense at this point as they were exposed by the Bills in that game and really down the stretch of the year getting pushed around by more physical offensive lines whether it was Miami whether it was the Indianapolis Colts or the Buffalo Bills Patriots defense is neither fast enough nor physical enough at this point kind of in the middle and the Patriots obviously you know, need to make some changes in that realm Patriots head coach Bill Belichick met earlier this week with the media for the final time this year
3: you know i have a lot of respect for the players and, and the coaches and just in general the team and support people um scoops worked extremely hard um and uh they've, they've they've given you know they've given their best we all gave our best it's obviously didn't work out for us the way we wanted it to last night and, and uh, you know ultimately the results of the season but um you know the effort and the uh again cooperation and ability to adjust and, and, um, you know, professionally do things and do things the right way. Um, it's been very much appreciated by me and, um, you know, we had our, um, our ups and downs in the season, you know, slower start, um, you know, some higher points in the middle of the season and, you know, didn't finish the way that, that we wanted to. I think we need to and we'll uh, go back and, you know, take a, a longer view of just everything. Um, uh, certainly last night's game was important and uh, not in any way trying to minimize that. But at the same time, there were you know 17 other uh, meaningful games. Uh, so 18 and all that you know, I think we really need to uh, look at and, you know, see how we can, do a better job of, um, everything, you know, coaching, playing, um, schematically, um, uh, whatever adjustments we need to make there and, and so forth. And just, you know, in season planning, uh, for next year. And, uh, so that'll be a, you know, a thorough process, uh, as it always is. Um, you know, again, the day after the season with, with the players and the rosters, definitely not, not a time to make those decisions and, uh, on any level, um, uh, the team level or the player level, um, we, we all need to, you know, step back and, uh, again, catch our breath, take a longer view of things and, and, uh you know, at some point we'll, uh, talk about certain, you know, situations, players that aren't under contract players who, um, you know, whatever their future is or, you know, is with the team and or whatever their individual situations are, those will all be dealt with at a later point in time. Um, Certainly not, you know, today or
4: tomorrow or the next day. Uh, We're going to open with questions. It's going to be Mike Reese followed by Chris Ryan. Thanks for those um, remarks, Bill. Um, I just want to ask you just on you personally, like how you feel about coaching. I'm just listening to you. It sounds like you're sort of ready to turn the page to 2022 and sort of go through the process? Like, it, is it safe to say this is still something you want to do in 2022?
3: No, I'd say be accurate. Uh,
4: next question, Chris, Chris Ryan, followed by Nick O'Malley.
3: Morning, Bill. Uh, thanks for the,
0: the access this year, um, as well echoing Mike's uh, sentiments. Just your overall feeling about the team coming off of this game against the Bills where this was a competitive team throughout the course of the year, but obviously that was a uh, non-competitive game. Do you feel like that's an aberration or is there something more concerning there?
3: Yeah. Well, Chris, I think, uh, you know, we have to take a, you know, a a good long look again, not at just one game, but at all, all 18 and, um, you know, you could argue that there were elements of last night's game and some other games and, but you're right. Last night's game was the, the least competitive game that we played last year. So um, again, that's, is that, is that what we are? Or is that a, you know, a bad night? Um, Yeah. Um, We'll, we'll see when we start playing again next year, I guess.
0: I just wanted to ask about, you know, looking back at Mac's season as well, where it seems like there was steady growth throughout the course of the year and he was a big part of the positive things you did this year. How would you categorize his season?
3: Yeah, Mac helped us a lot, Um, and look forward to working with him next year. We we all have things we need to work on, and that goes for every player, Um, and that'll be part of the conversation with every player, Um, and for the coaching staff. You know what what we all individually and collectively need to improve on, and um, so that's a process that we go through with each player, and so not. There's no need to single out anybody because there's nobody to single out. It's the same for all of us, coaches, players, um, support staff, other people in the organization. We evaluate everything we do, and you know there are good things we did, and then there are other things that we need to improve on, or or maybe change, or adjust, or you know, whatever it happens to be, and we'll address those and and try to you know, do whatever we can to to help the not just the the team on the field, but the overall operation of the, the team and and how we can do things more more efficiently, do better. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate your insight this season. Yeah, you're welcome, Chris.
0: Now let's look at things on the offensive side of the football with Patriots tight end Hunter Henry. Just your, your upshot, you kind of mentioned it there on there's basically kind of like three seasons within one for, for this group, which made it kind of difficult to comprehend. But as as an offense, I mean, what, what do you feel coming off this season? Do you feel like there was growth throughout the course of the year? There was steps forward, steps back. What is your kind of overall sense on what this offense was at the end of the year?
5: Uh, I think there was a lot of growth. I mean, early on. We were still just trying to figure each other out in a way. Um, you know, we, I mean, Mac stepped in. I mean, we we didn't give many reps with Mac, even at camp. So, uh, you know, just as a complete offense, like everybody that was out there, I mean, I missed time in camp. I mean, there was, there was a lot of different variables that went into it. So um, it just took us time to kind of build that chemistry build in the system. Um, and then we kind of started clicking. And then uh, really, I felt like that we kind of picked it up midseason where we were really, really clicking. Um, and, you know, we, Stall towards the end of the season. I felt like we beat ourselves um, in a lot of ways. I mean, turning the ball over um, was always kind of one of the biggest things for us and kind of get behind the chains and a lot of those things, making third downs a lot harder for ourselves. So um, some of those are a few things that just come to my mind towards the end of the season. But I still felt like we were um, a lot better than we were and grew throughout the season uh, from the beginning. And just a, a loss like that,
0: is that something that you know motivates you throughout the course of an offseason to make you, you know, question what the team is moving forward? How does that kind of the loss kind of sit with you kind of in a personal way
5: right now as you go into the offseason? Uh, I mean, it definitely gives you a sore taste in your mouth, um, a little sick taste in your mouth uh, after that one, just fresh off. Fresh off the game, but I mean, you know, I give a lot of credit to the Bills. They played a great game. Um, They really did. I mean, they're a great football team. And I mean, we got to improve on a lot of things. I mean, you know, we're going to see them again twice next year. So um, them being a division opponent, I mean, that's, you know, we got to we got to get a lot better. um, And it'll definitely be a motivating factor. And we'll look at it and uh, learn from it. And I mean, we're not going to be defined by one game, no. I mean, they got us that night. We didn't play good. They played great. Um and, you know, it is what it is, and, you know, props to them. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right, man.
0: Now to the defensive side of things with Adrian Phillips. Adrian, just echoing everybody else has said, thanks for the, uh, the access this year. Just um, when you look at where Buffalo is at versus where you guys are at at this point, do you feel that it's as big of a gap as it maybe looks like after, you know, a game like that, or do you feel that a couple adjustments here and there, the foundation exists for you guys to be right there with them? I mean, Buffalo's a great
2: team. What they got going over there is great, and you know they they built up a, a nice roster. But I don't think the the gap is as huge as all, at all. They just made the plays that were out there to be made, and we didn't make ours. And it's gonna be fun for the next few years, and uh, we'll look to see how stuff. Look to see how it is at the end of those years, but uh, I don't think it's a, a gap at all. I will always ride with what we got on this side, and I think that we're better than everybody else. We just got to go out there and prove it.
0: And just on the physicality front, this is something you obviously pointed to as being an identity for the team this year. Um, what was missing there at the end? Did you feel like there was something missing there um, in, in regard to coming to meeting the challenge um, from a physical standpoint? Um.
2: Hmm. it's a good question. I think physically, we were there. Um, I think mentally, we just weren't in the right space to to go out there and make those plays. And I think Buffalo was, and that's why they got us, at least their offense. I can't speak for the other side of the ball, but their offense was, was there mentally and physically. And for us, we just dropped the ball on that part, and um, I think that's what the difference was. But kudos to them. They showed up, and obviously we didn't.
6: Thanks, AP. Appreciate it. Yep.
0: So how should we look at this Patriots team present and future? I talked with the voice of the New England Patriots, Bob Sosi
6: You know, it was really a resumption of what we saw the previous four games and the three losses to Indianapolis, Buffalo in Week 16, and then, of course, in week 18 Miami, but I think it really exaggerated a couple of things. One, the talent gap and the difficulty the Patriots have now trying to defend Josh Allen with his development and with his receivers. Also, I think the way Buffalo's defense has really come around late in the season, the Patriots weren't able to run the ball. But I think it also reflected poorly on a number of areas for the Patriots. that, Like I said, were kind of exposed at various points during the season, but really highlighted during that four game stretch when they came out seemingly flat, fell behind by pretty significant margins, twenty nothing, uh, you know, seventeen nothing in a couple of those games. They fell behind Buffalo and had to chase points by double digits in that loss. And then, you know, beyond that, as you say, defensively, inability to to uh, stop the run, uh was a problem from early on this season. We never thought that would be uh you know a characteristic of the defense. Uh, certainly, you know, the inability to get pressure on the quarterback, uh, you know, the lack of containment at times, the two big runs by Allen on the first drive, I thought were, you know, an ominous sign for the Patriots defense. And then I think, you know, the lack of speed, the lack of speed defensively at the second level at linebacker. And, and with the secondary, they were beat up. They had a tough time matching up. But I also think it, you know, it, it shines a light on some of the concerns about J.C. Jackson going forward with the decision the Patriots have to make whether to treat him as an elite number one type cornerback in the NFL.
0: All right, now to the Boston Bruins who, after being shut down for a couple of weeks due to COVID-19, they returned on January the 1st. And since then, they have won nine of 11 games, scoring four goals per contest. Most recently, they defeated the Washington Capitals 4-3 at TD Garden. But that win was a costly one as Brad Marchand was taken out by Garnet Hathaway, a dirty hit that sent Marchand head first and shoulder first into the boards. It's not the first time that the Bruins have dealt with a hit of that nature from the Washington Capitals. Of course, last year Tom Wilson delivered a hit that knocked out Brandon Carlo for a period of time. I talked with Bruins head coach Bruce Cassidy. Hey But you, uh, just on the Martian hit last night um, and now that you got a chance to look at it a little bit more, how does so much does that frustrate you that it happens on that type of play and you know, against this, this team again, that seems to um, have the reputation for that?
7: Well, they play hard. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, comment necessarily on the team. Um, we said there was a couple of hard hits last night. We were on the receiving end of, of a couple of them and we, we had a couple of good ones. So uh, they're usually physical games against washington I, I told you i don't like the hit when it's in the numbers and from behind and, and, and close to the boards um I said we, we spoke about the wilson one and he's looking anton in the eye uh, and then those are two hits to me that are more you know acceptable in hockey when you're hitting a guy looking straight at him and if your elbows are down uh so i don't like those ones from behind in the boards at any age or in any league um, so i've said my piece on that um Unfortunately, Brad's going to miss a little bit of time and and that's the end of it from, from our end. I have no idea if the league will look at it or not, but um, we're off to thinking about Winnipeg now and, and obviously be well, next time we play Washington, you just got to be a little more on your toes as well, knowing some of those will happen. But any situation where you're on the boards, to be honest with you, from behind, you have to be, You have to be uh, careful and Brad plays with the puck a lot in those situations he's pretty good at it you know can sense that but last night um, uh, you know unfortunately uh, he got caught there and see where it goes.
0: And on Charlie McAvoy for a
7: sec obviously you
0: know last night we saw pretty much all that he has to offer in a positive way in a game and you've mentioned the consistency being what's perhaps keeping him from going to that next level type of defense although certainly playing all-star caliber right now what in regard to consistency what do you need to see from from him to to get to that that next level is it just time what do you think?
7: I think some of it is time it's just uh you get to know the league you get to know situations when you can uh, impact the game that you're when your team needs you and I think good example last night the physicality ramped up and he had a good clean heart hit on Van Riemsdyk uh didn't go seeking it out he wasn't Um, out of control it was there he took it uh, knowing that we needed to you know to push back Uh, so that that's good and and Charlie's always been able to do that turn the tide physically I think it's what separates him from some of these defensemen and that he's been compared to at his age that are you know you know a little more offensively oriented I think Charlie brings that element of players know on the ice he can you know he will he will be physical with you if if the situation dictates and that's the direction the game's going I think that's a great tool to have in your bag uh, for an all-around defenseman. So, uh, as for you know, hitting his his high water mark, I think, like I said, it, it, it's just he's a younger guy in the league. Just more reps, more games. Um, a lot of that has to do with the team around you, uh, etc. So, uh, all things that I think will trend well for Charlie, um, and like I said, it it'll happen for him on a. On a, a regular basis, it does now, and probably even more as as the older he gets in the league and the more comfortable he gets. You
0: talked the other day about um, the scoring and the sustainability of obviously, you know, potting four goals a game being challenging. But given the the habits that you've seen develop since you've returned, um, what's been most encouraging in regard to to those habits, and obviously Pasta um, having the impact he's had.
7: Well, you know, our four check has created. Um, some goals for us by, by being on top of them early. I mean, the Philly first goal the other day, uh, pasta reloads and creates a turnover high in the, in the zone. Sometimes it's below the goal line, half wall, different spots. Sometimes you don't get it back till they're out of their zone. Um, but that second effort to reload and win a puck. Now we, we, we get on top of them again. They, they don't execute. Um, uh, it happens when a team is, hasn't played in a while. Um, and it happens you know on a nightly basis no one's perfect but we recover the puck we have good structure and then we think about attacking right away we're not slowing the game down right to the slot so that's the other thing is, is once we're getting pucks back i think we're doing a better job being more determined to get to the net and create some good looks from it uh so a little more grease in our game around the front of the net has helped um you know a little more confidence because we've started scoring always helps guys are feeling better about themselves not second guessing themselves so that that goes through teams through the course of the year. So there's, you know, a few different things involved there, but those are probably the two biggest things that just our urgency to, to get to the front of the net. And then when it's not a four check situation, as I said to, I think it was Kevin who asked earlier, that we're just getting it up into the forwards hands quicker. We saw that in Washington second period was just a clinic on good gaps by the D moving it up, catching them in between and, and then generating off the rush. And then the last part of it is, um, and, and this is reflected in some of our stats, is hitting the net. We've done a much, much better job uh, of hitting the net, forcing the goalie to make saves.
0: Sounds like Marchand will be out probably about a week. Uh, we'll see if, in fact, that ends up being the case. I talked with Nick Foligno of the Boston Bruins about that as well. And it just, what did it say to the team last night when Brad is out there, you know, on the bench and he's trying to get back out there, he takes that shift and, you know, there's obviously moments of the season that can really spur a team forward. And did last night feel like one of those nights when you're you're down to 10 forwards and you find a way to beat a good team?
4: Yeah. I mean, that's what, I, that's what he's such a competitor. And to see a guy, he wants to play so bad. He wants to contribute. That's just what makes him so good. And, you know, you appreciate that. That's why he's a guy that everyone looks to in this room. And, uh and then you know you get down to 10 guys and and now you want to step up and and help in any way you can to to get that win for our team for him uh and you know that was a big win for us uh, especially in our the game before didn't go the way anyone had planned so we wanted to have a bounce back answer game we had some adversity in that game and then found a way to get the uh, big win and i think that's that shows the the maturity and the the cohesiveness of this group too and how much we believe in one another and want to help one another through things and You know, Marshy was there cheering us on, even though he wasn't feeling great. And then, you know, we were able to step up and get a big win for him and and Bleeder.
0: You mentioned the kind of stops and starts to the season for you, and I guess for the for the team as well. But it feels like you know, since the COVID break, you guys have found yourselves. What, in your view, has kind of clicked over that time period? Is just playing with more pace. What's what's jumped out?
4: Yeah, I think the pace, but I think what comes with that is just the confidence. You know, you come out of that break from COVID, and you know, it was was, you know talked about some guys were. struggling and it was just a good reset for a lot of guys and I think guys were looking forward to taking on a little bit more of an you know an opportunity that we were going to get coming out of the break I think the switching the lines sometimes it just gives you a little confidence too that all right you know we're gonna we're gonna try and spread the wealth here and it just clicked and you know I think guys appreciated that chance and that opportunity they got to, to play with some different faces and people and and take that as an opportunity as well like you know he's gonna try and piece guys together that that he feels are gonna are gonna give us an opportunity to win every night so I think guys took that and ran with it. And then when you have everybody starting to find, build into the the team atmosphere and the mindset of what, what it's going to take to win, just the confidence starts to build, and you're seeing that. I mean, every line's doing what they need to do to help us win, and uh, and, and and the confidence that comes from that. You're seeing guys now offensively really starting to open up, and uh, it's a great sign for our team because we, we can be a dangerous team with the depth that we felt we had, and and now we're starting to find it.
0: We wrap up today's show the conversation with Willie O'Ree who was the first black player in the history of the National Hockey League breaking the color barrier in 1958 his number 22 is retired by the Bruins on Tuesday. Hey Willie, uh congratulations on tonight. Just kind of uh if you could encapsulate what tonight means to you and uh and how you you know kind of took everything in from
5: afar.
1: Well, um you know I'm 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 greatly thrilled and honored, to, you know, to have the <clears throat> the Bruin organization uh, think enough of me to um, honor me for for my um, for my number being retired. Uh, you know, when I when I started playing hockey, I just wanted to play hockey and have fun. And um, then I uh, I played two year two years of junior, turned pro, and went up with the Bruins in, in 1958 to 1661. But uh, this is going this is a just a a memorable evening for not only myself, but for my family, uh, and to have my number retired and uh, hanging up there in the rafters with so many other great, uh, great hockey players that have played for the Bruins. It's just, uh, it's just amazing. And I'm, I, I'm just thrilled and, and uh, overwhelmed.
0: You've done obviously tremendous work with the hockey is for everyone initiative. What is your hope in regards to what this means you know, moving forward as well, that the symbolism uh, and significance of this?
1: Well, uh, you know, when I started um, uh, with the the National Hockey League and the Hockey's Program Program back in uh, 1996, um, all I wanted to do is I I wanted to work with boys and girls and help them set goals for themselves and and work towards their goals. Um, You know, know, I, I played hockey for 21 years and uh, I thought I had something to give back—not only to the sport, but give it back to the community. And and um, the hockey is fervent program—it's it's a it's a great program. I wouldn't have stayed with it for 24 years if I didn't think it worked. Um, the number of boys and girls that I came in contact over the over the years has has been just great. Uh, I work with these boys and girls and and help them set goals for themselves. Goal setting is very very important. You know if you if you if you believe in yourself, uh, you need to set goals for yourselves and work towards your goals. And and don't let anybody tell you you can't attain your goal. You know, when the doctor told me uh, uh, that I'd never play hockey again, because, you know, I lost the sight of my eyes. Uh, I just couldn't accept that because um, he didn't know how I felt inside. Mm-hmm. And I still had one eye. And I just said, I'm just going to, um, I'm just going to let that doctor know that I'm, I'm going to continue my career and, and forget about being blind. And basically, that's what I did. But Goal setting, uh, believing in yourself, work hard, because there's no substitute for hard work. You only get out of a thing what you put into it. And if you go out and work as hard as you can, you should pat yourself on the back, because that's all we can ask of you.
0: Thank you, Willie. Congratulations.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you.
0: Mr. Press Pass, I am Chris Ryan. Bruins this weekend Take on the Winnipeg Jets inside TD Garden. Bruins have been really hot in the new year. January, they have won 9 of 11, but to play without Brad Marsh, and at least for a little bit, uh, Marshy roughed up by Garrett ha- Hathaway of the Washington Capitals. Bruins' depth scoring has greatly improved over this stretch here in January. It's one of the reasons for their success. They've also been moving the puck quicker out of their own zone. I talked with Bruins head coach Bruce Cassidy about that. Hey Butchie, how are you? I'm
7: <laughs> terrific.
0: Awesome. Um, so earlier this year, you were talking about the the depth and um, where you're going to get your depth scoring from. How many of those questions in your view have been answered at this point? And do you feel much better about your depth now, midseason, as compared to earlier?
7: Yeah, I mean, some of the guys that came over had tough starts um, for different reasons. Um, some were injured. You know, some were finding their way, uh, moved around positions, lines, etc. Um, you know, we, we figured that Bergeron, Pasternak, and Marchand would get their goals. They have um, whether they're on the same line or a different line. Um, it's a goal. So you know, they they've done their part. We we figured that they have for years in this league, Taylor Hall, uh, starting to find his rhythm offensively, um, and, and hall a little more moving up, um, playing, playing good solid hockey is contributing, seeing more offensive chances with those two guys. Um, so again, it was just a little bit of figuring out who can create on their own, who needs, uh, support, who, who meshes well with, with who, et cetera. Um, guys that were comfortable here in the system, maybe help them pull those guys along. There's a bunch of different reasons why it's it's turned the corner. Some of it I think is just those guys were <clears> – <throat> some of the depth guys have been in the league and you knew eventually uh, their numbers would balance out one way or the other, just like you've seen guys that got great head starts and goals, maybe not necessarily on our team, um, that have slowed down around the league. So uh, it typically takes time to fully evaluate. I think the other part of it is is your cnrd contribute more than they did at the start they're up the ice better uh more confidence they're hitting the net better with their opportunities so so that's a positive um so that's how i see it now um and then the fourth line i guess we were rotating through different guys uh we've seen to settle in on on a group and when other guys become healthy we'll have to deal with that again but you know, a guy like lazar i think up to five goals like that's a good bonus to have when your guys contribute there. Bleeder's got a couple freddy was coming around before he got hurt so nozick i think has been solid from day one he's you know certainly been the anchor in that line um but that helps as well so takes uh takes a lot of different guys to chip in here and there um and usually when that happens too when you get the bottom of the lineup guys guys that do a lot of penalty killing shot blocking etc., when they score it just energizes the group. I mean everyone's root for those guys. They're great guys, great team players, do a lot of the dirty work. So I think that helps the the you know the energy um you know around the team as well.
0: More on that now with Bruins defenseman Connor Clifton. Hey Connor glad all is well with you. Um just on the the puck moving from uh your zone, uh, what's changed in regard to, you know, getting the puck up the ice a little bit quicker, uh, the pace you guys have been uh playing with
4: yeah, I think uh we're trying to play fast. Obviously, watching from the TV, because I was stuck home. Um, it's it's obviously easy to see and we're playing great, we're playing quick, we're getting the puck to the forwards. We we know exactly where they're gonna be and 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 the D especially, they're playing really good. And obviously our forwards are doing a great job scoring and, and the D as well. So it's been good.
0: It was the press pass. I'm Chris Ryan. I'll be joined on the program right now by Ken Hodge as we're focusing on the 1970 Boston Bruins championship team, the 50th anniversary of that squad. We heard from the great Johnny Busick in the previous segment of the program, and we welcome right now Ken Hodge to the program. Ken,
8: how are you? I'm doing well, thank you.
0: Good, appreciate you joining us for the show. Of course, Ken, the great number 8 for the the Boston Bruins. And obviously a great career with uh, the Bruins and a part of that 1970 championship team. His third year in Boston and uh, a season in which, obviously, you guys lift the Stanley Cup at the end of it. Um, Take us through what it was like leading into that season and the feeling that you had with Bobby Orr into the mix, some of the trades that were made, how you felt about the squad.
8: Well, basically, you got to go back to 1967 when uh, when the trade was made. Milt made the trade that brought Esposito, Stanfield, and myself over to Boston. Uh, then they traded uh, Murray Oliver and picked up a guy by the name Eddie Schack. And Actually, what happened is the whole team just started to come together, uh, training camp was a blast, uh, was very enjoyable, and uh, who knew Bobby Orr was going to be Bobby Orr of uh, what we know today, but uh, it, it was a great feeling, uh, the whole team started to come together, started to gel, uh, Derek Sanderson started to, <laughs> to be Derek Sanderson, and uh, Bobby naturally was Bobby, and then Esposito just blossomed into a great goal scorer.
0: Yeah, and you, of course, were part of the ESPO line with uh, Phil Esposito, who, as you read... Rent- well, actually,
8: it was Ken Hodges' line, and Phil just jumped along <laughs> for a <ride. laughs> Are you gonna, You're gonna you going to interview him next, right? You're going to tell him that. <laughs> we will. And, and
0: in the next segment of the program, uh, we'll, uh, you've been golf with him at all down there?
8: Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah, we get together every once in a while and play golf.
0: Good, um, yeah. So yeah, Espo, of course, yeah, just one of the one of the guys on that line. Like he was like the third wheel. It was Cash and you and and Espo, right?
8: Well, we started out with Tommy Williams, uh, a uh, Olympic uh, yep. player from nineteen sixty, I believe. The uh, the Olympic team. Tommy Williams was our left winger. Uh, then he got injured, and then we had a guy by the name of a veteran by the name of Ron Murphy, and then Ron got hurt, and uh, they called Cash up from Hershey and. Right-handed shot, uh, playing left wing, and uh, it just seemed like we just gelled. Things just came together. I mean, nobody nobody outfought Cash in the corners. Nobody outfought Esposito in the slot, and uh, you know, it, it just it just came together. There was a mutual feeling that uh, we had something as a line, and uh, we blossomed.
0: Yeah, I want to get into the chemistry of that line because that's one of the more fascinating things to about hockey. To me, is the dynamic that makes up a successful line. A lot of times, you'll have those two guys, like say Bergeron and Marchand, which who play incredibly well together, and then Pasternak is the beneficiary of that. Other times, you'll have the the grinder who get in the corners and, and get pucks out, like Cash was for you. Uh, on that line, and get he wouldn't
8: the pass it to me. You got to realize, Cash would <laughs> not pass it to me. He knew better.
0: <laughs> but he would be that guy in the corner who would be who digging pucks out. Yep. Um, so, how would you define the chemistry of of that line and why you guys worked well together? I mean, did you work, in your view, primarily with, with Espo, and you were the the guy that got him the puck and he, he netted? How did you see the dynamic working as compares to you know, some of the other great lines in hockey history?
8: You know, I wish I could tell you what uh, what the actual magic is of putting a line together, but Harry Harrison must have saw something in training camp and uh, decided that Esposito and Hodge would play together and Busek and Stanfield and McKenzie would play together. And, you know, we went through a, a, a bunch of left wingers before we settled on Cash. And uh, basically, uh, it was an unselfish feeling that we had. You know, Cash and I both felt that Esposito was a goal scorer and, it just didn't matter who put the puck in the net as long as it went in. And, uh, you know, Cash and I never played on the power play consecutively. Uh, you know, that was for uh, Busick McKenzie and, uh, and Esposito and Stanfield and all were on the point. Uh, but we knew what our role was. We knew what we had to do. We had to fill to feed fill in the slot and, uh, you know, just become very productive. At what point
0: did you know that Bobby Orr was going to be Bobby oh. Orr? Because you referenced that season. <laughs> I
8: wish I wish I knew. <laughs> I played junior hockey against Bobby up in Canada, right. and he dominated. But he didn't dominate the way he did in the National Hockey League and blossom into the star, the the superstar that he that he became. Right. And who knew? Who knew that you know that he was going to score 100 points six times in his career over for a defenseman. That was to- totally unheard of, but uh, Bobby Bobby was just the exception to all the rules.
0: Yeah, so that first season where he really exploded was that year, the 69-70 season yep. where he had 120 and points. And
8: Esposito had 99.
0: Right, in 76. <laughs> and he was second place. <laughs> right, and so everybody focuses on on your line, but did did Orr always play with you guys as well, and his pair play with you guys as yeah. well, or did it did he play mo, more with Busick's line? How did that work?
8: I, I don't think there's any comparison of uh, who we played with or, or whatever. Uh, Whenever Bobby's turned to get on the ice, he played with whoever. Mm. Um, you know, we basically had three lines and a fourth line, which uh, basically got a you know got a chance to play every once in a while. But I mean. Uh, you know, Sanderson, Westfall, and Marcotte, you know, and then you had Busick, Stanfield, and, and uh, uh, who's that other guy? <laughs> <laughs> McKenzie. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it, it just didn't matter. The rotation was one, two, three, and you went out and you played. And, uh, you know, we had a checking line, uh, which was the Sanderson line, was a checking line, basically, and the, the two uh, other lines, basically, were the scoring lines.
0: What was this group like off the ice? Because you all have these really... I can't
8: tell you those stories. Because <laughs> you all have... You have... to have to censor some of them.
0: Because <laughs> you guys have all these... Awesome, huge personalities, and yep. you know Bobby, in his own way, has this awesome personality too. Where he's extremely gregarious and friendly. He's like the nicest yep. person you'll ever meet, and
8: except when he was on the ice, right?
0: <laughs> then he was a killer, obviously. But you know, Espo's got this huge rock star personality. Like this group was a a hockey team that was very dissimilar from the very, um, you know. Uh, clean-cut type of groups that you have today in the National Hockey League?
8: I'm going to tell people you said that. <laughs> <laughs> that we weren't clean-cut. I can't believe you said that. Uh, you know, we we just, everybody had their own identity. Uh, we had a rule, basically. We started the rule in 67 when we came here that it would basically be all together or not. And if you weren't part of the, the group, then you know what? You didn't get to play, and you didn't get to be part of the group. And it was a standard rule that before the game or after the game, we were all together. And uh, it, it just seemed that it just it blossomed. And it also blossoms when you're winning a lot of games, which we did.
0: Were there ever any you know issues of, of ego? Because you have all these type no. A personalities. No, you just were all. Absolute, yeah.
8: Absolutely none. Absolutely none. We all knew what our role was on the team. And I think Phil uh, summed it up best. You know, you've got 18 guys in a locker room. Mm-hmm. You may not like each other or whatever, but when you came, when it came time to play, and the doors open, and you went out that door, everybody was together. And I think that summed up the way the team played and uh, the way we we all profited by it.
0: That is Ken Hodges joining us here on the press pass on KXL, the great number eight for the Boston Bruins. Before that, other number eight, uh, Cam Neely, and I want to talk a little bit about. Just the, the postseason that year, as we are focusing on the 1970 squad, and um, Johnny Busick said that you guys should have won four Stanley Cups and didn't well, want to be... Well, we should
8: have won three in a row anyhow, right. but
0: The <laughs> 71 he thought was the best team that yep. you guys had, period. the well, um, most
8: productive team.
0: Yeah. And so I'm curious as to this group that had been together, as you referenced, prior, for the most part prior to 1970 uh, and, the, and the Stanley Cup championship season. The first round against the the Rangers, obviously, if you look at the you know the way that the series went, you swept the finals, you swept uh, the the co- the conference finals, semifinals against the Blackhawks, and then um, in the Rangers series, you win that series, you know, four games to two. I mean, was there any concern or nerves going into that series because you knew how good this group was? you had been together for a while, and you obviously needed to produce, and that was it. Looked like it ended up being the toughest series for you guys.
8: That was probably one of the toughest series that we had with the Rangers because they were our rivals. I mean, uh, there was a love-hate relationship with the Rangers. Uh, we didn't get along with them. They were trying to model their team after us. And basically, uh, we knew we were going to be up up to really have a good, strong series. We had to play well. We had to play well. We had to beat them defensively. We had to beat them offensively. And, uh, you know, their their team, uh, I, I can't ever tell, Hatfield and Gilbert, uh, you know, you had Hodge, Esposito, and Cashman. I mean, the lines were were pretty well uh, compatible to each other, and I think that uh, you know, you when you dislike a team, you seem to get up a little higher for them. Mm-hmm. And there was no animosity or anything like that. But we just felt a little bit of a, I guess, a word, a hate for the mm-hmm. New York Rangers. And uh, ironically, Esposito and I ended up there, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, there was a little bit of a dislike for the New York Rangers, and so we played a little extra hard.
0: The final thing um, on just the game during that time period, you know, the, the hockey in the 1970s, and the game seemed to be much more physical. Um, there was a lot more uh, grinding uh, in in the game at that point. Um, you know, Busek mentioned the fact that the equipment was obviously inferior, well ah, inferior. To no <laughs> <what> kidding. <God's laughs> play with, with today, in terms of just about everything, but the production was 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 still there. And yep. you know, as I talked about with with Johnny, I mean, I could see him and Bobby Orr and Espo and, and you going in and finding success in today's game. But I don't know if the guys in today's game could go back then and and play so take us through what what it was like and you know there's obviously a huge difference too in in injuries and you know, guys today if you have a concussion you there's the appropriate protocol etc that right. takes place and you guys went straight through that stuff and played through some really horrific uh stuff in order to get out there and, and help your team
8: well, maybe we didn't know what a concussion was back in our era. Probably some of us had them. We thought they were hangovers from the night before. Right. But uh, basically, uh, you know, we didn't have the medical knowledge, you know, the training knowledge that they have today. I mean, you mentioned uh, we could play in this era or whatever. We would certainly have to change our skill level and our adapt to some some different ways of playing. Uh, the players today are you know twenty four seven. I mean, they're they're in shape uh, every day. They work out hard. They have the facilities, uh, everything, and and plus they have a medical staff. Mm-hmm. I mean, Bobby Orr would probably still be playing today if they had the rehab and the knowledge of medical uh, history that, uh, that he went through. I mean, who knew, uh, you know, eight or nine operations on his knee. Uh, you know, and who knew what the injuries were. I mean, we played through those injuries because we didn't know. We didn't know any better, <laughs> to tell you the truth. We just went out and played.
0: And did you – during that time period, I mean, you think about the guys that were playing, and Gordy Howe and Stan Mikita mm-hmm. and Jean Beliveau and et etc. Um, was Bobby that much better than everybody else? I mean, did you have a sense that he? Oh, oh sure. Yeah, he was yeah, just abso- a complete absolutely. different. He was,
8: I mean, he saw the game differently than we all saw it. I mean, at a different at a different pace, and I mean, if you look at some of the the video highlights of. Of the games of, of how Bobby played and what he did is just just a, it, it astounds us even today that he went out and he played night after night injured wise and, and whatever and was able to to play the way he played it's just phenomenal really
0: Kenny appreciate your time uh, okay. thanks so much for joining us to talk a little about the 1970 yeah, I think Boston I'll Bruins just go
8: sit by the pool now and have uh, <laughs> a, a nice cold libation oh that's wrong <laughs> okay you guys appreciate take care thank you very thanks, much bye bye all the best bye.